Hey guys, welcome back to celebrate the celebrate the struggle and thank you for joining us today whether you are listening to this or catching up on the YouTube video. I have a special guest today. Del Sam is here. He is now uh well, I won't get to what he currently does yet, but hey Del, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to dive into things. You guys, as you as you will hear me talking and hear him talking, you'll know that you'll understand why this may not be a one-part uh, show here. We may be breaking this up into a couple because he's a plethora of information. He uh, was in the Army and did a couple of different things as far as a lieutenant in the infantry as well as special forces training. However, I'm not going to steal your thunder, Del, so... I'm going to step back a little bit and I would just like for you to start sharing with the audience like a little bit about your journey, kind of wherever you want to start as far as where it started and got you on the path to uh, the military or anything that came before that and kind of just kind of share with us that. Yeah, um, first, thank you for having me on your show. This is uh, this is something I'm passionate about is talking to other veterans and connecting um, and being vulnerable, right, and talking about some of your journeys, uh, and it for me it started off um, decades ago, <laughs> many many years ago. Um, but I I started um, I was going to school at Northern Illinois University, and I didn't have money to pay for uh, college, so I signed up for the swim team. <clears throat> and on the swim team, they were saying, "Well, we don't have scholarships here," um, but one of the other swimmers said, "Well, if you sign up for ROTC." they will give you a tuition waiver. And so that's really how I got into it was uh, I needed money for college. Uh, and this is a common story for a lot of people, right? The um, military funding their education, but that's how I got started. And so I started uh, um, as a cadet in ROTC. I did two years with the military police. Um, and then when I got commissioned, I, I was commissioned into the infantry. And I um, I liked it. I really liked it. Um, and, you know, it's exciting, it's a good time. Um, and we had about four, I don't know, I want to say about four different people in my infantry unit that went to special forces all at about the same time. And so trained up, went through special forces, um, and then 9-11 uh, happened. Um, and... <clears throat> I was deployed in December of 01, a couple months after 9-11. Um, they gave me a one-year set of orders, and then in true Army fashion, they extended it for another year. Mm -hmm. um, so I did 730 days deployed, and so it was uh, um, quite a bit of time. Uh, <laughs> and then I followed it with another deployment in 05 and another deployment in 08. Um, all three of my deployments were to Afghanistan. So two of them were with special forces. One was with the infantry. Um, and I, uh, on that third deployment, it was a short notice. Um, they gave me two weeks notice to, you know, hey, you're, you're going to Afghanistan. Um, and so that happened in January. Um, my wife at the time was working at Northern Illinois as a police officer. And in yeah. February, they had the active shooter. Um, and so I was away from my family when my wife went through um, a fairly major PTSD trauma event. Um, and it wasn't until a year later when I got back home that I realized how traumatic that was to my, to my spouse. Um, so the two of us had, you know, I've got three deployments. She's got trauma. And <laughs> that's an awesome recipe for uh, for healthy relationships. Um, but we came back in 2009. I was assigned to the Command General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, and it's a it's a place that I want I wanted to go there to kind of face out, take a knee, take a break. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't be deployed during that year. Um, and I was kind of working on, uh, you know, trying to work on things, but it, it didn't really work out. And it wasn't until 2011 that we went through the divorce. Um, but it was, it was many years, you know, it was a decade in the making. So from September 11th 
in 01 to 11 before I got the divorce. Um, and I really started struggling with sleep issues um, at that point in time. And so I wasn't, I, I don't know, I was just getting really broken sleep. Um, and even over on the deployments, you're working sometimes 20, 22 hours a day, super busy. Um, and it's not always, um, even when you catch sleep, it's not always at the same time of day or things like that. So it's not as as consistent as you really need. Um, but what was happening in 2012 was when I really started um, needing help a lot, where it was very noticeable to other people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it may have been noticeable before that, but it wasn't really that I, um, that's when, <clears throat> that's when I had people really approaching me. Um, and so we talked, uh, I, I've talked to you a little bit about, um, at that point in time, I went out to the Ranch of Hope. So I spent a week, I did a retreat out at the Ranch of Hope in Colorado. It was 101 um, with a therapist. Uh, and it was, it was pretty intensive. Um, and I needed it at the time. I needed that, that um, one week or one hour a week wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> Um, and I also started doing kind of intensive like sleep studies and things like that. Um, and I, I felt better a little bit. It kind of stabilized as I went through the divorce. Um, I, I felt like it was um, it's very tough in a lot of ways, but I, but I felt like the therapy kind of helped. Um, but I wasn't certainly fixed um, completely. Uh, 2018. Um, I was on military orders and then I got, um, I got a domestic, um, which, so I got remarried in 2015. Um, and so I was with my second wife. Um, I got a domestic pause, um, on orders and it really threw me in a, um, quite a tailspin because you put your retirement at risk. You put your job at risk. Um, I had custody of my son um, at the time. And so he went back to my first wife, um, you know, legal fees, things like that. So it, it was a very short um, amount of time to get myself in a lot of trouble and really, really struggle. Um, and that, again, was one of those indicators like, hey, you really need to work on this. Um, and I went through a lot of therapy after that. Um, after about eight or nine months, they eventually dropped the, the charges. Um, but that was a lot of stress going through a legal event. Um, and even as, as small, um, I want to say it's small, but like my lawyer, as soon as I talked to him, he's like, oh, this is going to get dismissed. Uh, and to me, I was like, well, you know, I'm glad you're very confident of this. But right. It goes away. I'm under a lot of stress. And, uh -huh. and the military is really given me a lot of grief about this. Um, and so because it happened off post, I had, um, you know, I was going through a civilian process, but I also had like UCMJ was just like hanging there, like just waiting in the background. Um, and then because I was in the, the reserves at the time, I also had the reserves waiting in the background to see what active duty was going to do. And so for me, it felt like triple jeopardy. Like I had to you know, explained to uh, multiple different groups and multiple different sets of lawyers, like what's going on, what am I doing, um, what kind of treatment am I going through, um, and uh, different different things like that. But it really kind of kicked things up at that time. And uh, so, you know, I can kind of look back at it and laugh now, but at the time, I was uh, I was quite the train wreck. Um, and and then I, I started kind of reworking things with the therapies then. Can I, can I pause you for a moment before yeah, you get back to uh, reworking with the different therapies? So Ranch of Hope, and I want to revisit that topic later to, to share with people what that looked like. I feel like that's going to be a really good resource to put out there. But how long was it after Ranch of Hope that you got the domestic? Um, Probably about six years. Okay. So when you went, here's another question about Ranch of Hope. Was it, you know, cause as we move into the domestic, I know you and I spoke about how like anger is such 
a huge issue with uh, our veterans and, and maybe even other people from trauma. But when you went to Ranch of Hope six years prior, was the was the focus a lot on anger or was it just you as a whole person and like the healing and post-traumatic growth? Um, it was, so to start with, um, it was the chaplains, the chaplain corps was the one that sent me. Um, so I didn't really ask for, I didn't know to ask for Ranch of Hope. I didn't even know to ask for the retreats. Um, but the chaplains noticed that there was issues with me and they were the ones saying, Hey, you're going through this divorce. It's really, you're really struggling. Um, and I believe that the chaplain saw more of the PTSD than I did. Um, and so they're saying, Hey, you need to get away. I, I recognized that stuff was not correct. You know, that, you know, obviously I, Hey, I'm going through a divorce. So it's clearly stuff is not right. Um, but but I think that the chaplain saw more to it than I did at the time. And so when I went there, I was really focused on the divorce, not so much the anger. Right. Um, but the anger is a part of the divorce, if, it, right. if that makes sense. And so I went there, I talked about things, but I didn't really specifically talk about the anger. And I didn't really um, connect like my military service with the divorce so much. Um mm -hmm. I was just angry that she was divorcing me. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, like, hey, I've done all this stuff for my family. I've deployed. I make this income. I support. Um, and then you want a divorce? Like, are you kidding me? You know, like, I, I kind of felt betrayed. Um, and so there was anger there, but I was talking to them about the divorce. But when I look back now, I go, you know, hey, the deployments and stuff like that, some of the stuff from the deployments is you know, it's a co-occurring, uh, you know, it's leading to it. And then um, her PTSD from the shooting was also in the background of the divorce that I didn't really um, kind of fully acknowledge when I was going through some of that stuff. But I, I talked to that therapist one-on-one, -on -one, you know, about how I was feeling about the divorce, processing through it. It was good. Um, but I needed to go deeper. And I think that's kind of why the therapist like, was, in branch of hope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his name is Dave, Dave Taylor, um, was who I was working with. And <clears throat> for me, like it, like I dug in, I needed that week, but um I clearly needed to go deeper. And I think that's why it kind of came up again in a bad way six years later, was that I didn't really fully understand the issues I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's part of your your post-traumatic growth though right like if you could solve this all at one time we'd be we wouldn't be talking right like oh. I tell people it took me eight years to learn how to go to sleep um and it wasn't until 2020 that I figured out how to get sleep you know that it, it sounds uh you know even when I say it now it sounds kind of dumb like oh my gosh like how who doesn't know how to sleep um there's a lot of veterans that don't know how to sleep there's a lot of individuals that are not veterans that also don't know how to sleep and so to get those um, the right combination to finally get sleep and make good decisions is, is really was a really big success for me. Um, and that was part of that growth. Um, and in learning how to handle hand, uh, handle anger appropriately um, or use more emotions and feelings is still stuff that I explore and try to learn about. Yeah, you know, before we get back to what you were talking about, as far as the therapies that followed the domestic, the statement that you made that right there about like, you know, it sounds silly, right? That you got to teach yourself how to sleep. First of all, 2020, that was just two years ago, man, you're just now like on the breaking point of getting a good sleep. But number two, like, I, I'm glad you mentioned that statement, like sounds kind of silly, right? Because that's, you know, we want to bring enlightenment and understanding to people. And so, you know, in our heads, you know, we feel this like, yeah, I know it sounds silly, right? But we want people to know that like, it might sound silly, but this is such a real thing. And it's so, it's not just real for, you know, Dell and like my battle buddy, Perry, who's been on here before and just a couple people. It is so many people. And so just bringing that enlightenment and understanding and 
knowing that that is a part of people's uh the effects of trauma like so it's not just i mean i would be angry too if i wasn't sleeping <laughs> like you know i wouldn't we wouldn't handle stress like we do if we had better sleep so it's just this like snowball effect of it's yeah. not just the things you've seen and done it's now the way your body responds to stuff is not setting you up for success and so it does take a long time to learn those different things i i had um so <clears throat> to talk about sleep differences which again is a great topic i love talking about this the sleep stuff because it um first that was part of my own like stigma, like, you know, um, looking at and saying, Hey, I don't need help with some of this stuff. Right. Um, or even, even where you hear me saying, Hey, this sounds funny. Like that's still part of the, in my own head, like part yeah. of the resistance. The inner to dialect. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I was getting, if I was lucky, I was getting maybe four hours of sleep and it was usually broken. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, when they started doing the sleep test, they could see that I was not getting REM sleep at all. And so, um, yeah, you talk about being miserable. Like I, I wasn't doing very well. I'd be very tired at work. I was drinking like a lot of Mountain Dew or caffeine to try to stay awake during the day. Um, and then at night I couldn't sleep at all. Mm -hmm. And it just was, um, very, very tough for me to kind of like figure out this balance. And then to add to it, there's like these different personalities, right? So, um, part of it, like any little noise or touch would wake me up. Yeah. And yeah. that's part of the deployment stuff where you're kind of that hypervigilance, right? Um, on the flip side, my wife likes to curl up, right? So she likes to snuggle up and touch and, and like there's physical contact, which wakes me up. Right. And so like, she wants to like be next to me and I want to sleep alone on the couch. Right. Um, <laughs> so just learning how to like, you know, how do I get some sleep um, that works for me where I'm not getting woke up in the middle of the night. Um, you know, I can actually get um, typically now with the sleep size, they say that I they they look at and they think I'm getting about two, sometimes three REM cycles. And to me, I go, damn, that's awesome. And other people still look at it and go, you know, you only sleep like five or six hours a night. And I go, yeah, that's awesome. And then <laughs> to other people, they're like, oh, that's very little. And I go, yeah, but compared to what it was before, this feels awesome to me. Right. Progress um, for sure. And it's, it's better quality sleep. Um, but it was this huge journey to learn how to do the sleep stuff. And I was, I was telling a doctor, um, I was explaining to him everything I had to do to get sleep. And he, he, he told me in the doctor's office, he's like, you know, nobody has to do all that stuff to get sleep. And I walked out of there. I didn't really think much of it. And about three hours later, it's kind of clicking in my head. I'm like, well, you know, screw you. What do you care what I have to go through to get sleep? If this works for me, this is, this is good for me. Uh, you know, no, no judgment on that. But I, I have um, like the tinnitus, the ringing in the ears. So I like to have some music playing in order to kind of counter that out. Um, you know, the lights have got to be down. Um, I, if the neighbor's dog is barking or there's other noises, it can wake me up. And so it's got to be quiet. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's this routine that I've got to go through. And when I get all the planets lined up, I get some sleep. And if anything's out of whack, then I can, I can have a tough day. Um, and so in, 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 in truth, uh, these last couple of days have been a little bit tough for me just because when the heater kicks on the house, it dries out the air and then I get my mouth dries out I wake up more for to drink water stuff um and so the even things like that can disrupt my sleep um and so it's just taken years to kind of figure out how to counter these things and how to um get everything to kind of work for me <laughs> and and there there truly are things that are definitely directly related to like combat experiences like the the easily, you know, being startled awake and stuff like that. Um, those were much worse years ago. They're starting to decrease some of that stuff now. Um, mm -hmm. But it it's take it's been a journey of you know you say growth and growth isn't instant, right? It's a it is a journey. It takes a while to get there. Um, uh, and so those those were um, areas where 
when I finally started getting sleep, then other things clicked into place um, much better for me. And so yeah. like, I started eating better, losing weight. Um, therapy started working better. Like it, I got, when I got one thing solved, it had ripple effects that, that worked out. Um, Which is profound. That's, yeah. it really does happen that way though, right? Um, yeah. Which is fantastic. I was making some some notes on that so we can look more into talking about sleeping disorders on here because that is such a huge thing. I have a friend who um, is a dispatcher and so already super stressful job, um, but like two to three hours is like his spurts and it's just, it's those types of effects. So as I've done research, you know, on the effects of PTSD, it's stuff like that, like having insomnia that ends up affecting the, the internal organs in your body. And so then we end up having these health issues that look like, oh, you know, like it could have came from anywhere. Well, no, it's like, you haven't been sleeping. So like your body is breaking apart. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that to the forefront. And I think a lot of veterans use substances to help get better sleep. So things like that, these, these directly relate um, for me. My journey has been like, when you solve the sleep issue, a lot of other issues can start being solved or start, you know, if you solve sleep issues, that doesn't mean that you're going to not be an alcoholic, but, um, but it means that you can, you can help reduce those reliance on the substances. You can get help for those other things. Um, But I do think a lot of veterans um, use substances and do that stuff uh, to address that. Now, to give you background, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but I work at Veterans Treatment Court right now. So I work um, after after I got arrested. Uh, now I work for the court systems. And so I see a lot of veterans that do struggle with these issues. Yeah. Um, so it's not just me, my issues. I, I'm on a daily basis. I'm working with veterans that struggle with substance use. Which so that, it's so interesting. Can For people that have no idea what Veteran Treatment Court is, um, this is just a buzzword I heard about in the past couple of years. So can you let our audience know, like, what in the world is that? What can, what kind of services and support do they offer? So Veterans Treatment Court is a nationwide program. Um, I work here in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, and so each, each Veterans Treatment Court is probably a little bit different. Well, I know they're, they're different, um, but we treat nonviolent crimes. So things like DUI stuff, um, substance use, uh, some domestic violence, some uh, some gun charges. So here in Illinois, if you get arrested with a gun, that's going to be a pretty big charge. Um, doesn't mean that you will wave it around. So it's got to be a nonviolent crime. Um, but we we bring in a lot of different types of arrests. Um, and if the veteran um, has mental health issues or substance use issues, they can be brought into veterans treatment court. It's kind of like a drug court. Uh-huh. Um, but our, our veterans get their treatment through the VA. So they might go out to rehab in Danville or up in Heinz VA. Um, and if they complete their treatment in our circuit, um, then the, the judge will dismiss the case and they can apply to get it, the arrest expunged off their record. Um, so that's the, that's the quick blip on it. Um, and, but I see on a fairly regular basis, just, um, almost all these veterans come in and talk about sleep issues, substance use issues, and their trigger for when they have lapses or relapses um, tends to be things that kind of relate to those sleep issues. They can't get sleep or or physical pain. The other one's physical pain. Right. So, hey, if I've got a toothache, then I use substances, you know, I drink or different things like that, and that's what causes the arrest. Um, and so, those are those are pretty common. Um, you know, so that's what I do, but, to to come back to my story on this stuff, um, you know, as I had growth and I wanted to share it with other people, (laughs) here's, here's what I learned from it. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm, I work in the court as the, as the veterans treatment court coordinator. So I help coordinate the, um, the services. Um, but I, I found, um, with sleep. Um, it was it was kind of funny, but I I had to do so many sleep studies, and I was doing them with the dentist, 
um, because they were they were using a mouthpiece. Um, yeah. To help. Um, and Is it so, like EX something? So they tried like the CPAP, um, but every time it would the CPAP would dry out. I would get dry mouth. And then as soon as you crack that seal, it makes so much of a noise that I'd be wide awake and I couldn't get back to sleep. And so the doctors kept telling me like, oh, you just need to use the CPAP more and it'll work. And I'm like, I've been trying it. It is not working. I'm sleeping worse with the CPAP than I do without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, uh, one of the respiratory doctors um, finally said, well, you know, they also have like a mouthpiece, but it's just a dentist that does this. Um, you know, he's not not a real respiratory doctor. And so even the doctors kind of downplayed the the mouthpiece, but the mouthpiece is just kind of shifts your jaw forward a little bit mm-hmm. um, and it keeps the airway open, but it, you can, you know, it doesn't make any noise. It doesn't, um, it's also not pumping the air in and out where it's drying you out, um, but it's it's got a little gap in between it where I can take a sip of water without waking wide awake. Um, and so when I went in to see this dentist, he was the one that started doing at-home sleep studies um, and working with me. Um, and it just, it was kind of this long journey where he kept doing these tests and had me like, hey, try sleeping more on your left side, you know, try playing the music, try doing this. And um, and I got help from a dentist. Of all things, like I got sleep help from a dentist. Uh, and But I'm very, very grateful that he kind of helped me get that sleep That's and was willing to do the sleep studies and things like that. Um, and the sleep studies were at home, not at a hospital. They're in the environment that I'm trying to sleep in. Oh, uh, wow. And so those were, yeah, those were super funny, but he's like, oh, you sleep so much better on your left side than the right side. And you sleep horrible on your back. He's like, I want you to get a backpack and and spend you know try for the next 30 days i want you to try sleeping on your left side and get used to sleeping that way he's like you know just go down to walmart and buy a bag and i came back i told my coworker the story and she's like you're in the army don't you have bags and i was like oh yeah i've got duffel bags and, <laughs> and she's like you don't need to buy a bag uh, so yeah army duffel bags keeps kept me uh i did that for a little while um just learning how again just learn how to sleep better so that when you wake up, your mental health is better where you make better decisions. Um, and so, yeah, it's as ridiculous as it sounds, right? Um, oh, I, I'm grateful I mean, that that dentist gave me those ideas. I get it. I get that it sounds ridiculous, but I, I'm glad you're talking about it because people listening to this, like we take for granted the things that you think come naturally to you. And here Dell is talking about how, he legit had to go through like basic training to learn how to sleep. Like some things that come very easy and are taken for granted. Other people have to struggle and work for. And so I, I'm so glad you bring that to the forefront there. Yeah. Um, so, so that happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, the war in Afghanistan ended and, uh, I found that to be very triggering and it, it was triggering in a way that I, I didn't expect. Um, the war started with the, tw- the, the towers, but I remember seeing people jumping out of towers to their death. Um, and then that war ended and people were falling off the plane. And it was this weird trigger that like, Hey, I haven't thought of the towers for like, 20 years, like not, not like that. Um, but it seemed really weird that a war starts and ends with people falling to their death. Like what, a, um, I don't know why that was such a big trigger to me, but it was. And so I was talking to people and saying, Hey, this is bothering me. Um, and they, they told me to, you know, Hey, join a combat PTSD group. You know, you've got PTSD. Imagine that after three deployments <laughs> that might have PTSD, right? Um, and so, uh, I joined the, the rush, the road home program. So yes. they have, um, uh, they, they do combat PTSD group, but they also do military sexual trauma and it's very easy to sign up for. They connect you, they do intensive outpatient stuff. They do groups, they do all kinds of, of great stuff. But I had a, a friend that recommended, 
um, you know, join the combat PTSD group with the Road Home program. So I signed up for that because, again, in the Army, we do everything with battle buddies, right? Uh, so if your buddy says, go do this, uh, you're more likely to go do it than, um, and that that's really a secret to success if you want to help a veteran, um, is just be there with them and go go have, you know, one of their military family members, right? So your battle buddy um, taking you to an event or inviting you out to get therapy or help is really the, the way to get veterans to change behavior and, and get treatment. Um, so my friend asked me to go to that. I showed up, um, the therapist there was, um, one of my E6s when I was in command. <laughs> and so I was like, what a weird role reversal, right? Like I was this commander and now he's my therapist. Um, how, what a small world. <laughs> uh, but I'm again, grateful for the help that I got. And so I started that in, um, as the war ended in like August. Um, by May, after talking to the guys, um, quite a bit, um, I realized that I needed a little bit more help and I got the, um, SGB shot, um, which, <laughs> you're making a face, so I know you haven't heard it. All right. Uh, let me dig into that one. You're going to learn something new and something SBG cool. SGB shot. Okay. So stellite ganglion block. And I went through Oak Brook. So it's a place called Stella Center. Um, let's see. I am going to drop. I don't know if other people can see this, but I'm going to drop it in chat for you. So at least you have a, a link to it. Um, so the Stella Ganglion Block shot, what it does, um, it's been around for about 100 years. And it's used to treat chronic pain. Um, but just, I don't know, maybe in the last 10 years or so, they started using it to treat PTSD. And so it's a shot in the neck right there. And yeah, exact. That's the face that I made. Like, oh, <laughs> um, so think of an epidural. Uh, and so like an epidural blocking everything below that, the shot in the neck stops the fight or flight responses. And so I don't have the anxiety, the tightness in my chest and stuff now. Mm -hmm. um, so that shot lasts for like one to five years. And so the Green Beret Foundation paid for it. Um, I went up and I got I got the shot. And it took me a little while to notice some differences. But I realized I wasn't, um, uh, all right, like my little squeeze toy, right? Like I wasn't using like some of my anxiety things as much, much anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I was able to um, not get that tightness in my stomach. The, the tightness in your chest from stuff. And so that was in, in May. And then in July, I went through the an intensive one-week um, outpatient therapy with Rush Hospital. And so I was doing two therapy sessions a day and homework in between. And so that was like three boxes of Kleenexes that week, oh. uh, right? So <laughs> emotional week very tough, um, but very, very good. But I don't think I would have been able to do that if I had the, the physical symptoms along with them. The, so I still have in anxiety in my head. My head can still spin, but I don't have the, the tightness um, in the chest. And so you don't have to fight as hard. And so the therapy felt like it got more traction, if that makes sense, right? So the medicine helped the therapy. Um, and and that gave me that breathing space. So with being able to sleep better and having less physical reactions, then I could address the some of the root causes a little bit better, look at some of the anger issues, really dig into it. Um, and then, so that was in July. And um, I don't know, maybe about a month ago or so, I started working with a therapist on like relationship stuff. And so first I had to work on me and, and then... Now I'm working on others, how I connect with others. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still a very isolated veteran in some ways. Um, so this is I, what I say is this is like couples therapy, but it's just me there. Uh, it's not me and my wife. It's just me talking about my relationship right. with my wife. So I'm still uh, at a one person um, couples therapy. Um, and that's that's part of the, the growth, right? So 
you get sleep better. Then I go get some medicine that works. Then I get therapy. Then I do some more therapy. And so it's a, it's a journey as you go through it. And everybody's trip is going to be different, right? They're, you're going to have a different vacation. Uh, and so your journey is different than my journey. <clears throat> um, but there's parallels to these journeys. And there's things that like, hey, you're struggling. Um, but keep trying until you find that right. You know, like it took me eight years of sleep. Keep trying until you get it right. Um, and if the doctor is telling you one thing, like the, the respiratory doctors are saying something, find it, you know, keep trying until you find that doctor, the person that does connect with you, does give you help. Um, and look, I, and I would say look for it in, in different areas, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and if your buddy is recommending something like, Hey, you should try the combat PTSD group. And I'm like, Oh, I don't need that. You know, I, <clears throat> this is 20, uh, you know, 2021. And, you know, I haven't been in combat since 2008. I don't need a PTSD group. Uh, and, and where though your buddies are saying, no, you, you need it, yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so taking that chance and listening to other people is, um, is part of where I found some success. Um, even when I don't think it's, uh, in my head, I go, Hey, these are kind of funny. And then I go try it anyway. And then I go, Oh, that was, they were actually right. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, one of the conversations I definitely want to continue the next time we meet. And I think I, um, want to kind of combine a couple of the topics because I feel like they go together and that it's like sleeping disorders and, and anger. Um, so I really want to continue that conversation and talk to you uh, a little bit more about that before we do that next time. But I just lost my train of thought and was going to ask you a question. Oh, yes, of course. Um, one of the things that I really like for you to share with people, because, and just as before I pushed record, you know, you were telling me just how many different meetings you've been in today. <laughs> all the different initiatives and uh, your mission at hand. So I know that always like takes from our, our cup, our bowl, you know, our spoons, whatever you want to call it, you know, it takes from you a little bit. And so what do you do aside from plugging into therapy and battle buddy groups, or, or maybe you get more specific about that. What do you do for just Dell Dell's own self-care so that Dell can feel good to go and equipped in order to be able to best serve others. So um, every, uh, like I've got stuff almost every night that I do different things. Um, uh, Monday nights, I do a veterans art therapy group. Oh, nice. And uh, I, I call art therapy um, the gateway therapy, right? Uh, so when you tell veterans I need to go to therapy, they'll say, no, I don't need it. But art therapy is fun. Um, equinine therapy is fun. And so there's these what I call gateway therapies that lead you to other therapies. Um, and so for me, that's a way to recharge is doing a little bit of art and talking. Um, Tuesday nights, um, I teach a kid's martial arts class. And these kids all have like, it's a diverse group, um, but they all have neurodiversity issues. So you're teaching kids, but they're also like autistic or, um, and so it's, it's kind of hilarious um, just how <laughs> it's chaos. Uh, and I yeah. love it. Right. Uh, so, you know, these kids are between five and 12 years old um, and you're trying to, you know, even teaching kids on normal kids uh, can be a challenge at time, but teaching kids with, um, like autism is extra special. Um, but I, I recharge by doing stuff like that. We're helping in the community um, and doing stuff because I work with veterans all day long. So I like the, the differences now I'm working with kids, but there's so many parallels to the kids that need help, um, the veterans that need help uh, and how they connect and stuff like that. But for me, um, those are, I like teaching. Mm -hmm. um, I like doing things like this, the webinars or podcasts where we're talking to people. Um, those are recharging for me. Yeah. So yeah, but that kids martial arts class is super fun. I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. And then, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about is, well, two things actually. First of all, um, you know, I had heard before when it comes to a veteran veterans treatment court that like you can go and connect with you guys 
about things that you got charged for 15 years ago post-deployment. Is that true or is it just offered when people get charges now, like in the moment? So we we have people that are in veterans treatment court now for like a current charge, but when they complete the treatment, let's say they, they have a DUI right now, they complete the treatment and they go to get it expunged. If they had a DUI from like 2005, they could ask to have both of those expunged off the records. Um, and so um, to some extent, yes, they can get charges removed from the record. Um, but I, I would say don't go get a, a DUI now to get rid of know, a DUI from before, thinking, right? Like, yeah. I think I need to tell my friend, like, hey, you're going to have to go break the law now to get that thing expunged from when but, you back to crazy. You can apply to get arrest expunged. Like if you haven't had an arrest for over three years, like you can go apply to get some of these things expunged. You know, the um I would say the the way that I for my arrest, because I didn't go through BTC, all I did is I went through a bunch of therapy and like anger management classes, things like that. I documented all that stuff and then I turned it into my lawyer to show them like, hey, I'm getting treatment. Um, that I'm working on things. And so, you know, again, if you're trying to get something expunged off your record by being able to, like, if you submit that in with documentation that you've gone through treatment or rehabs or things like that, you're much more likely to get it approved where they they expunge it off your record. You know, I'm I'm not a lawyer. Uh, there's free legal aid out there and stuff like that. But, but there's, um, but that's how I would approach it. I mean, that's what I did for my case and it, and it worked. Um, right. I was arrested actually in Texas though. So again, different states, different laws. Um, but, but here in the state, um, you can certainly try to apply and get things expunged. Prairie State Legal will do stuff. Um, they do free legal aid. Um, Armed Forces Legal Aid Network will provide legal aid. And they, they also look at discharge statuses. So <clears throat> um, if you're discharged from the military with like a bad status, those are those legal oh. aid places can help change your status. Um, and that's something that a lot of veterans are interested in. Um, uh -huh. So if you were in the military and you're really struggling with PTSD and you got kicked out of the military early because of substance use, you might have a like an other than honorable or something like that. Um, and so it's it's kind of consistent what we see with, with some of these veterans that are in the program that they, you know, it wasn't like they were completely healthy and then they got out of the military and then the problems happened. Like in my case, hey, I got arrested while I was on military orders, right? And so like, I was in the military struggling with PTSD. Um, and so some of these struggles can lead to bad conduct discharges or- um, So other what was that one? The Armed Forces Legal Aid Network. Um. That's good. I'll write it down and Google it. Yeah. So there are there, know someone. We the all know University someone. of Chicago does that. Um, so the um, University of Illinois, um, Chicago is where they run the Illinois Armed Forces Legal Aid Network. And then okay. there's the, I think the Chavez Veterans Center over there in Champaign. So they've got lawyers in a couple different places that do the, the Armed Forces Legal Aid Network. Awesome. That's good information. I know a battle buddy of mine that's helping another battle buddy to um, get his status, his veteran status that just totally got wiped clean because of, you know, popping on a, a, a test when they we were back. And I don't know if they know about that. So that's great information to pass along. Yet again, another thing that I'm just so grateful and thankful about when we have these conversations and connections, because there's this plethora of resources like um, the yeah. uh, Ranch of Hope. You know, one of the things that I wanted to point out to the listeners is that, you know, when when Dell talks about that it was one-on-one, -on -one, what was really interesting about it is that there was no one else there. It wasn't like a cohort. It was... Dell was the focus. And I also really even like the fact, I know it, it may not fit for some people, but that like you stayed off campus, like you slept in mm -hmm. your own safe place and you reported every day. And I think that's really unique. And for some people, 
far more valuable. And so I'm really grateful to hear about all the different opportunities. Now for you, I mean, obviously, I'm sorry, were you about to say something? Well, I was going to, I was going to add, so I talked about combat PTSD here a lot, but very similar things happen with military sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we see victims of military sexual trauma that then turn to substances and get kicked out of the military early with other than honorable or bad conduct things because they didn't complete their term of service. And so the people that need the help, you know, because of something that happened to their, to them while they're in service, um, it's, it's significantly harder for them to get an honorable discharge Oh yeah, because of what happened to them. Um, and so that's kind of a, a change. The VA is looking at some of those changes, like, Hey, should we treat some of these people that have different discharge statuses? Um, and then the lawyers help upgrade those, you know, Hey, you were discharged because of something that happened. But was it because of mil um, like military sexual trauma or something like that? Um, and then, so I talked about the Road Home program having a good combat PTSD program. They've also got an awesome, a really, really awesome military sexual trauma group. And several of the female veterans have gone through a program. They've almost all gone through that Road Home program for military sexual trauma and found a lot of, of help there. Um, so I... I don't necessarily always default to MST because it's not really my background, but um, but it is there and it's very helpful for the veterans that are going through that stuff. Absolutely. And I'm so glad to see that more initiative and and like not ignoring it and tiptoeing around it, more initiative is starting to come together. Mm, now we just need to keep sticking at it and really addressing what's really going on. Yeah, another topic I would like to speak more about and that I think it's just going to take some more time because I would um I know just like you said it's not your area of expertise and it definitely isn't mine as well. So, um that's something I really want to bring on the show. I've reached out to people like a week ago, I'm uh, not a week ago, a year ago tapping into different MST groups seeing what their thoughts were, but would you believe it that nobody wanted to talk, you know, nobody wanted to reach up and like, Hey, you should do this or, Hey, I'll speak. Of course they're not going to. And so we just got to figure out what people need, want, and how best we can help and serve. And so with yeah. that being said, you know, when it comes to helping and serving, you're already doing so much, but I like to ask people like, are there any other like things that you really hope to do like a, a, a dream, like if resources and um, funding wasn't an issue, uh, time wasn't an issue, what would you really hope to get done in your lifetime? So I, I do, um, I sit on three nonprofits. And so I do um, integrity, mental health care, um, so healthcare for, uh, or mental health care for like low income, um, or underinsured people. Um, and then I also sit on a board, um, milestones daycare, which is for, um, daycare for underserved children. Uh, and then I sit on the Illinois Prairie Community Foundation, which hands out grants. And so I like that one, handing out money, uh, is a fun one. Um, but when I look at um, like the the children's stuff, like we all know ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences affect things later in life. And so um, I, I like addressing that stuff at a very young age. And so we do that veterans art therapy. I also have that art therapist going to the daycare and talking to the kids. And so it's kind of funny. I go, you know, if it's good for the veterans, it's good for the kids uh, or vice versa, right? If it's good for kids, it's good for the veterans. Um, but we, we also know that a lot of the, the people in the military have these ACEs and they lead, they're trying to, they join the military to get away from stuff that's happened in their home life or home environment. Um, and so that is also a very common thing with a lot of veterans. And, uh, so if you're asking me one thing that I would like to change, uh, um, just addressing ACEs, um, looking at the children, addressing stuff as soon as possible when issues come up so that they don't spend, you know, <laughs> they're still going to go through some uh, growth later in life. Right. Um, but we want to address it as soon as possible, give them the coping skills so that they're not struggling for 40 years to try to figure things out. Um, that would be, yeah. that'd be what I'd like to see. 
Absolutely. That's perfect. That's awesome. I have also read a lot about that in the last year doing research that like there's such a huge percentage of people that join the military that come from a background that had its adverse effects, um, whether it was, um, you know, financially they knew that they needed to go there or like they didn't have a, a system, a loving system, a, a put together structured system and all these other different things that makes the military look appealing. And so then you go into the military already with some maybe even trauma from being a child and then boom, like just stack more on top of it that um so i i think that's very admirable um again another topic we need to talk about <laughs> you just need your own podcast still <laughs> i know i know for real but, for but this today, is the beauty of the podcast is you get to talk to lots of people and if these were one one and done you know you wouldn't have a podcast series um and there's always these things to talk about there's so many people to talk about um, and yeah, I mean, you could talk to me a lot and I would love to talk more. Um, but that's the, that's the fun part of your job is that you get to talk to so many veterans with so many issues and, and to pull this information out. And so when you hear my story, you hear about different resources that I've used, but if you hear a different veteran, they've used different resources and things that yeah. I don't know about. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's great that you're doing these podcasts and that you're sharing that knowledge and that people, um, you're giving that opportunity for people to learn from, from yourself and from others. Yeah. Well, I couldn't make it happen without people like yourself that come on to share your story. So thank you for coming on today to share your journey and celebrate your struggle. And for those of you listening that feel like you have really enjoyed it and got a plethora of information, Del and I already have it in the books to meet again in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for more enlightenment and more understanding. And Del, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you very much, Jennifer.